Now I will read today's Old Testament reading, which comes from Genesis chapter 41, verses 28 through 40. It is just as I said to Pharaoh, God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. Seven years of great abundance are coming throughout the land of Egypt, but seven years of famine will follow them. Then all the abundance in Egypt will be forgotten, and the famine will ravage the land. The abundance in the land will not be remembered, because the famine that follows it will be so severe. The reason the dream was given to Pharaoh in two forms is that the matter has been firmly decided by God, and God will do it soon. And now, let Pharaoh look for a discerning and wise man and put him in charge of the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh appoint commissioners over the land to take a fifth of the harvest of Egypt during the seven years of abundance. They should collect all the food of these good years that are coming and store up the grain under the authority of Pharaoh to be kept in the cities for food. This food should be held in reserve for the country to be used during the seven years of famine that will come upon Egypt so that the country may not be ruined by the famine. The plan seemed good to Pharaoh and to all his officials, so Pharaoh asked them, Can we find anyone like this man, one in whom is the Spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has made all this known to you, there is no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace, and all my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. This is the word of the Lord. Please join me in the New Testament reading found in your bulletin. Our New Testament reading is John, from John 15. Jesus says to his disciples, If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. If they treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know, or they treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father as well. If I had not done among them the works no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. As it is, they have seen, and yet they have hated both me and my father. But this is to fulfill what is written in their law. They hated me without reason. This too is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So I've titled this sermon this morning, um, What is Our Compass? Um, which is great because compass is the same word in English as it is in German. So everyone knows what I'm talking about. Um, and for those who are younger, a compass is a thing you use to know where you're going. Now we have GPS. But if, for anyone who ever had to take an orienteering class in, in the woods or in the mountains and had to actually learn how to use a compass, you know how important it is. And so that's the theme of what I'm going to be talking about this morning. In verse 18, Jesus starts by telling the disciples, in our passage at least, if the world hates you, don't worry. They hated me. And if we remember, no one really liked Jesus. The religious people he sort of represented, the Jews, they didn't like him. The Romans didn't really like him. He didn't have a ton of interaction with Gentiles in the scriptures. All kinds of people didn't like Jesus. Even his disciples would get frustrated with him. Even his disciples would think he was confusing 
and, and, and sort of get thrown off by him, right? When he teaches on marriage, for example, his disciples sort of say to him, well, who could follow this teaching? What, what, are, you, what are you saying, Jesus? All kinds of people hated Jesus. So keep in mind, friends, if you've ever felt hated for something you believe Jesus is calling you to do, that's okay. They hated Jesus first. He goes on in verse 19 to say, but remember, that's a good thing. That's a good thing because you are not part of this world. You are not one of them. Jesus, in fact, says, you do not belong to the world, but I have what? Chosen you out of the world. Jesus plucked us up out of the world. Just like the disciples, right? They were fishing. Hey, brothers, put down your nets. Follow me. Okay. Hey, tax collector, stop collecting taxes. Follow me. Okay. In the same way Jesus called his disciples, Jesus came to you and to me in one way or another and chose us. He came to you, he called you, and you answered. And Jesus says that the world doesn't really like that. The world doesn't like that there are some who are aligned with him. Now let me mention just really quickly though, uh, as I look at this, my first temptation is to think, at least I'm on the right team here, right? At least he chose me, all right? I I put this in just because I want to be really, really clear here. Let me mention that we must remind ourselves in in, in passages like this that we are not better than others. We are not above or, or, or more superior to those that are not following Jesus. Remember, Jesus also taught things like the last shall be first. Remember the parable of the vineyard workers where workers come at the end of the day and receive the same wage as those who were there first thing in the morning. So Jesus teaches all sorts of things about being chosen and him choosing us and also about those who maybe aren't chosen until the end of the day. Let us not think ourselves any better than anyone else. But instead, when we read this passage and when we read uh, verse 19 here about Jesus choosing us, let us just be grateful. As we were praying with our worship leaders, Heather and Natasha, before we started the service, let us just be grateful that we can take an hour to worship God with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Let us be grateful that our Jesus, our Lord, our King, our Savior, our friend has called us to follow him. And then he continues in verse 20. Remember, he says, a servant is not greater than his master. He's quoting himself from John chapter 13 there, just a little bit earlier in the night when he said this to his disciples. He's saying, see, lest you think that you may be better than anyone else, remember that what I go through, you will go through. And oh, by the way, tomorrow's going to be a really big day. This is the night before Christ was crucified. So he's saying that by him choosing us, by us responding, by us following Jesus, you and I are called to follow in his footsteps. And that is not always an easy road. Forgive me as I drink some water. I'm still recovering from a a throat thing. And I talk far too much. Excuse me. And then verse 21, Jesus says, they will treat you this way because of my name. He says, remember, if if you encounter opposition, if you encounter struggle, if you encounter pushback from the world, it's, it's not because of you, it's because of me. They're not rejecting you. They're rejecting the one you represent, which is me, Jesus. And then also, the second half of verse 20, the one who sent me. 
They're rejecting me and they're rejecting the Father in you. If you are being rejected, that is because people are seeing the Lord Jesus Christ and seeing God the Father in you. <clears throat> Excuse me. He's saying that these people, if they reject you, they don't know God. They don't know the mission of God. They see you and they think, quite honestly, you're a crazy person. But verse 22, Jesus says, if I have not come, if I had not taught, if I had not revealed this to them, they would not know any different. They would not be guilty, but yet now they are guilty. And here he's talking specifically about the Jewish people, right? We see this at the end of this passage where he quotes a psalm, they hated me without reason. Here he's talking specifically about the Jewish people, how Jesus has come to show them truth and righteousness, and that the Pharisees, Sadducees, and the religious leaders rejected him. He says, and now these people are accountable. Now they are accountable. And friends, we have all seen God's mission. If you were a follower of Jesus Christ, there was something you saw, something you heard, something you experienced where you said, I want to be part of that. I want to do those things. I want to live that life. I want to go down that road. I want to follow that direction. And by us living this way, it creates a division with the world, doesn't it? People see us, people see the Christian, people see those who are pursuing righteousness and justice and honesty in the world that is unrighteous and unjust and dishonest. And so what Jesus is saying here is the reason they're going to hate you is because through the Holy Spirit and through the knowledge of God and Jesus, people are convicted of sin. And this is why we confess our sins every single week in church. Sometimes it feels like this empty thing we're doing. But church, it's important, isn't it? It's important to acknowledge that sin pulls on us, that sin is a desire of our hearts. And that we are the same as the world, but we know that there is a God who intercedes on behalf of us and forgives our sins and gives us grace. And so we go to him, hopefully daily, but at least weekly in church. But the world doesn't have that. The world has not answered the door when Jesus called yet. Or, 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 or the world has chosen, many people have chosen a different path. People don't like authority. Right? How many of you love authority? It takes a little bit of training. It takes a little bit of practice, right? Human nature rebels against authority. And when Jesus came... For God so loved the world that he sent his only son. When Jesus came to redeem the world, he revealed to people their sin. The Holy Spirit reveals sin. And it's hard. And so he says in verse 23, Then whoever hates me hates my father. They have rejected me and my father. But verse 24, Now they have heard, now they have seen, and now they are guilty. Because, as he says in verse 25, as they hated David without reason, so too they hate me without reason. And I want to talk more about what Jesus said, but, but first, before we do that, I want to also look at our Old Testament passage. I want to look at the story of Joseph, because it's a little different. See, Jesus is telling his disciples, hey, just so you know, people are going to see God in you, and they're not going to like it. <laughs> but, but Joseph's story is a bit different. If you look at the story of Joseph, what's happening here, just to give you a little background for those who maybe aren't as familiar with the Old Testament, Joseph is a person who was sold into slavery by his brothers. He was wrongly accused. After freeing himself from slavery and working hard, he was wrongly accused by someone in power and was put in jail falsely. And then after helping people in jail, they forgot about him. And so he languished in jail for a time. 
And here is the story of Joseph, through the wisdom of God, interpreting the Pharaoh's dreams, the king of Egypt. And he goes before Pharaoh, and he interprets these dreams. And what's amazing about this story is not just that God interprets the dreams of Pharaoh, but what Pharaoh sees in Joseph. If you have your little bulletin there, look at verse 38. Verse 37, the plan seemed good to Pharaoh and all his officials. We should put someone in charge of this. We should plan for this coming famine. But let me ask you. So Pharaoh asks all of his officials, can we find anyone else like this man, the one standing in front of me, this, this prisoner, this Hebrew, in whom is the Spirit of God? So, fun fact about this verse. This is the first time in the Bible that the Holy Spirit is attributed to have been in or resting on a person. Up until this time, the Holy Spirit has just been referenced like in Genesis 1, the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters, etc. This is the first time the Spirit of God is being attributed to being with or on or resting on a person. And it's not recognized by a priest. It's not recognized by a Levite. It's recognized by a pagan king who he himself thought he was a deity. He himself thought he was a god. And when he saw the wisdom of Joseph, And the power of God's interpretation of his dream to care and protect for the people of Egypt. He says to his officials, is there anyone more suited to this job than the one who has the spirit of God on him? He's amazed. And so you see the difference here. Jesus is telling his disciples, the world's going to hate you. But in the Old Testament, when the spirit of God was resting on Joseph, Pharaoh was amazed. So yes, you and I, we are called to be his disciples. He has revealed himself to us. But we need to also realize that how, as Jesus has revealed himself to us, we are also revealing God, the Father, God the Son, Jesus, and God the Holy Spirit to this world by how we live and how we act. When I ask, what is our compass? When I talk about where we're headed in this life, let me ask you it this way. What are people seeing in you? Because let me suggest to you that even though you may think you're going after Jesus, even though you may think you're heading one direction, people can see how you're living your life. People can see where you're actually headed. Pharaoh saw it in Joseph. Here was a prisoner, a Hebrew, a slave. And Pharaoh saw something amazing in Joseph. Jesus tells his disciples that people will see it in them, but they won't be as impressed as Pharaoh. In fact, that they're going to persecute them because of it. And that's okay, he says. So whether people are impressed with our faith, as Jesus says, some will obey his teaching as they obeyed his teaching. But he also says some will reject his teaching. So whether people see the power of the Holy Spirit in you and reject it or accept it, the response is not for us to worry about. What's important is what we are projecting out into this world. What's important is where we are headed in this life. What is the trajectory of our life? Where is our compass headed? Because if we take this verse, two more verses past this, Jesus says that this is why he's sending them the Holy Spirit in John 15, 26, and 27. You can look it up later if you don't have your Bible with you. He says, this is why I'm sending you the Holy Spirit, is so that the Spirit will testify to these things. And this is exactly what Joseph was doing. 
This is exactly what the prophets in the Old Testament did. This is exactly what John the Baptist did before Jesus and the disciples did after Jesus. They testified with their very lives about the truth and the mission of God for this world. About God's plan to redeem and to restore, to bring forgiveness and healing to a broken world. And so let me ask you, church, is the Spirit of God with you as it was with Joseph? Can people see it in you? Do non-believers, pagan people who maybe even worship other gods see you and say, who is like this person? Where is your compass heading? Where are you pointing? Are you focusing on Jesus? Going back to the beginning of John 15, are you remaining with Jesus? Are you abiding with Jesus? And when hate or judgment comes, it doesn't really matter then, does it? As Jesus taught his disciples in our text, we need to realize that Jesus was very serious about these things. We need to realize that Jesus was very serious about what he said. Jesus was very serious about these teachings because sometimes we think, okay, life's hard. I'll go to the Bible. Life's good. I must be doing something right. And we sort of forget about the Bible, right? A lot of us will, when things are going well, when things are happy, when things are joyful, we don't read as much, we don't pray as much, we don't connect with God as much. And a lot of times we sometimes think, and maybe we don't actually think this, but this is just how we live our life. This is what people are seeing in us, that these things are things we do when it's convenient or helpful to us, right? There's a, a, a pastor I really like in the U.S. His name's Sky Jatani, and he talks about Jesus being serious. He has two books. He has a book out a couple years ago called What If Jesus Was Serious? And then he has a new book coming out called What If Jesus Was Serious About Prayer? And it's this idea that what if we actually took Jesus' teaching seriously? And I would expand it. Throat is so tickly. Sorry about that. I would actually expand it to what if everyone in the New Testament was serious about what they said about Jesus? When we think about focusing our lives on Jesus, we need to realize not only was Jesus serious about what he said, but also what Paul and Luke and John said about Jesus. Let me, let me just remind you of some of the things the New Testament actually says about Jesus and how he should be where we're pointing our compass. Paul said in Colossians 1, Jesus, the Son, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. In him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, thrones or powers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in him. And through him to reconcile himself all things. This is what I was talking about, the mission of God. To reconcile all things to God through Jesus. Whether things on earth or in heaven. Making peace by the blood he shed on the cross. We need to realize that the author of Hebrews, most likely Luke, was very serious when he said this. Talking about Jesus being a high priest. There have been many of those priests since death prevented them from continuing in office. But because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he lives and intercedes for them. We need to realize that Jesus was serious in the first three chapters of Revelation when he is talking to the seven churches in in Revelation. We need to know that Jesus said what he meant and meant what he said. 
And here's why. I want to share with you three things to take with us today. Three things that reveal to us three things that reveal to us how we can actually point in the reason we point our lives at Jesus and abide in him that I see in the passage of Joseph in this passage. First, first it's for our own growth. We see this to be true throughout scripture when we focus on Jesus, that his teachings are on our heart and on our mind, that we simply become better people, right? We just simply become better people when we live like Jesus. Everyone will acknowledge that the historical image of Jesus was a good person, that he was a good prophet, that he was a nice guy, right? I mean, no one wants to be seen as a bad person. So at the very least, following Jesus' commands make us a better person. At the very greatest, what we believe spiritually is that we are being made holy from the inside out by focusing our eyes on Jesus. So that's the first thing. It's It's a simple one, but it's one we need to be reminded of, that following Jesus sanctifies us. It makes us more holy. The second one we need to remember, when we focus our eyes on Jesus, when we point our life compass at Jesus, where we're headed, other people see God. People who do not know God see God. When we focus our eyes on Jesus, people who may be completely opposite of our God will see the Spirit of God in you and will be amazed. It doesn't say that Pharaoh started worshiping, but he was amazed and he saw God. And he acknowledged God. The same thing happens with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? With the fiery furnace. King Nebuchadnezzar says, okay, I don't believe in your God, but let me tell you what, no one's allowed to make fun of your God. No one's allowed to persecute you because your God is powerful. So whether or not people accept Jesus, the result doesn't matter as much. Are people seeing Jesus in your life? Are people encountering Jesus? Because we know that Jesus is always knocking on the door of people's lives. We know Jesus is always pursuing them. And maybe an interaction with you is not the moment they believe, but maybe the interaction with you is one of a string of interactions they have with Jesus that years down the line, they finally then submit and bow before him. So the second reason we do this is not just that we would be made holy and grow closer to God, but that others would see God in us. And the third reason, and I think this is, Maybe, for me in my life right now, the most compelling reason. When we look at the story of Joseph, I shared with you the context of the story, but you see it in the passage. God tells Joseph to tell Pharaoh that there's going to be seven years of plenty, but then there's going to be a famine. And it's not just going to be, you know, some food shortages. It's going to be severe. It's going to be bad. And if you continue to read in the book of Genesis... It's so bad. People are starving and dying. People are traveling from hundreds of miles away because there's, I heard they have food in Egypt. Well, let's go so that we don't die. See, when we focus our eyes on Jesus, when we point our life compass at Jesus, when we are faithful and obedient like Joseph, God uses us to not just show other people God, to grow us like those two things I mentioned, but to bring justice to the world. Because Joseph is obedient and faithful, God uses him to change the world. The famine was so severe, people were coming from all around. And Joseph's faithfulness was used to provide for people who did not have enough to eat, for people who were suffering, people who came to Egypt as refugees. Because of Joseph's faithfulness 
In obedience to God and focusing his life on God, people's basic needs were met. God used the faithfulness in the midst of trial of one person and impacted the countless lives of others who were suffering. Friends, when we look at the world today, you read the news about wars, about famines, about people not having enough to eat, to drink, people not having clean water, people not having clean sanitation. When we focus our lives on Jesus, God uses us to help them. The reason Jesus was so serious about these teachings, the reason the Apostle Paul was so serious, the reason the writer of Hebrews was so serious talking to the Jews about Jesus being the new high priest was that we need to know that we are first called to be changed. First thing I mentioned, we are also called to follow Jesus that other people would see and hear about him in our lives. But but lastly, and I think somewhat most importantly, because this accomplishes the mission of God, is that you and I are called to focus our lives on Jesus so that we might make a difference in the world for those who are suffering and in need. Genesis doesn't tell us that anyone else became followers of God. But because of Joseph's faithfulness, Egypt and the people around Egypt survived a great famine. And then as a bonus, also, Joseph then gets reconciliation with his family, which is a whole other great part of the story. But see, God is calling us to faithfulness so that this world would change, so that you and I would continue his mission on earth. Jesus says these things to his disciples, and they have no idea the impact they're about to have on the world, do they? They have no idea what's going to happen that Jesus is going to die, that he's going to raise from the dead, that the Holy Spirit is going to come upon them, and they are going to scatter across the ancient world, bringing the good news of Jesus Christ to spread throughout the Roman world and eventually the entire world. They have no idea how their faithfulness would change the world forever. And this is God's plan, that you and I as his followers and as his disciples would grow closer to him, that other people would see him in our lives, but our very faithfulness and obedience would bring justice to those who are suffering. God does amazing things. But I have chosen you out of the world. He has chosen you. For those of you who know him, for those of you who claim his name, for those of you who claim him as your king and savior, this is God's plan to redeem the world through us. It's not someone else's job. It's ours. So I ask you and leave you with the question, where is your compass heading in this life? And what path are you following? Shall we pray? Lord, thank you. Thank you for Jesus and his teachings. Thank you for the apostles and the disciples and their teaching. God, thank you for sanctifying us. Thank you for shining your light through us. And thank you for using us to bring justice to this world. Lord, when we have a chance, may we see it. When we can help a brother or sister in need, may we help. When we can speak truth, may we speak truth. When we can be your hands and feet, Lord, give us the courage to do so. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.